The following message is brought to you by Balsamic. Balsamic have decided to support the SAS district community by donating their sponsored airtime to some of our listeners. This episode is sponsored by the Product Onboarders, a startup that helps B2B SaaS product owners identify conversion killers in their onboarding process so they can increase happy, activated users and gain more paying customers. The service is a straight shooting review of a user's journey from the marketing site through to the first run experience. They even record a walkthrough from the point of view of a user taking the steps a SaaS needs to make them to get value from the product. When they find friction and glitches, they recommend ways to overcome them. The more reviews they do, the more they believe small actions can have big payoffs. Some customers have even seen a 27% uplift in form completion from implementing just one of their suggestions. If you're looking for actionable tips you can put in place for your startup or be provided introductions to trusted tools and experts who can execute, visit theproductonboarders.com. If you'd like to receive a promo code for Balsamic or even just thank the folks at Balsamic for supporting our community, please check out our show notes where we include a link to that promo code specifically for the SaaS district community. Thank you all. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to build a SaaS company for the healthcare and work safe industry. Today, we have our guest, Peter Jerusik, joining us. Peter is the founder of Luminous Communications, the consulting MD of Easy Referral, and most re- recently, the co-founder and CEO of Buddy Solutions. His base of experience includes strategic planning, business workflow design, raising capital, board governance, sales management, international sales, and most importantly, customer engagement. Peter describes himself as always managed to attract talent. The teams he has recruited have always helped every company meet and surpass their goals. He has helped build successful businesses for over 30 years, and his passion has always been the existing customer and the potential customer. So welcome, Peter. Glad to have you on our show today. Thank you, Akil. Pleasure. Thank you for those kind comments for the introduction. No worries. So I've read a little bit about your background, including you've held several positions, positions such as the sales manager at Sony. You were the VP of sales and IT, uh, of marketing and IT at Danone and held many other leadership roles. Can you tell us more about your, your background and how it shaped your skill set to start your own entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, my pleasure. I mean, I'm, I've been fortunate for one thing. Um, but when in my uh, early 20s, when I was 20, I was at the University of Calgary. Uh, I'm not sure what I was going to do with my life. I was taking psychology, rocks for jocks, um, and had always had somewhat of an interest in business. But I was also working uh, part-time at a sporting goods store called Abominable Sports. And that was my first real exposure to, to business, the world of retail. And I loved it. Um, and so after a relatively short stint, I was offered the job of assistant manager, which would have meant that I would have had to leave the University of Calgary. Well, you know, working in a sporting goods store with a lot of young people um, was was very much of interest, especially as I was an avid uh, sportster. Um, So I left school and I spent a year and a half working at the sporting goods store. It was taken over by a large conglomerate out of out of Toronto. Um, they moved me up to management. I started getting business experience. 
Um, and that was it. I never went back to school. I've always been a lifelong learner. I learn about all the industries I'm, uh, I'm involved with. Um, and, uh, but, uh, you know, from there I went on to, you know, help a number of, of companies that were just starting up. One in particular was in, um, the central part of BC on a, on a lake called Shushwap Lake. And it was a new startup of a company called Three Boys Houseboats. And they wanted me to help do their sales and marketing. Um, and they were going to revolutionize the houseboat business. And we did over the next three years, ending up with a fleet of over 700 boats. And from there, I just you know kept going, kept finding companies that you know needed help. Got it. And then from there, you just moved up to different roles, you know, work from Sony to Danone and then kind of from there decided to shift and start your own business at some point? Yeah, well, in 1986, I went to uh, Toronto to help start a bottle of water company with some friends who had uh, made the mistake I had found quite often or common. They'd spend all their money uh, on marketing in the wrong areas and they had no money left. No money left for sales, no money left for uh, marketing. So uh, they flew me out to Toronto for ostensibly a few months. Um, it ended up being 18 years. Um, I spent 18 years learning in Toronto. It was very different working in Toronto than Calgary. It moves at a completely different pace, which I loved. An agile market, decisions are made quickly with lots of opportunity. And when we arrived, it was the early years and of um, a bottle of water. My friend said, you're going to Toronto to sell bottled water on the shores of Lake Ontario? I go, yeah. <laughs> and I arrived, uh, immediately formed a, a sales team. Um, I realized that one of the best ways for marketing when you didn't have any money was to affiliate yourselves with uh, special interest groups, such as the Jewish community. We volunteered free water or the Jewish Walk for Israel or the Walk for Israel, the uh, Jew Jewish Community Association and others. I recognize that that would probably lead to loyalty and provide us business opportunities, which it did. Uh, we also, I also approached the Toronto Maple Leafs, the uh, uh, Toronto Blue Jays, um, to act as their uh, sponsor uh, with free water. Um, and uh, in those days, there was no such thing as sponsorship. We uh, we ended up having our water cooler in the dugout of the three of uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, the first product placement there ever. Um, the Toronto uh, Maple Leafs became great friends of ours. We were able to say we we're the official water of the Toronto Blue Jays, the Toronto Maple. We did the same thing with the Canadian Ballet, numerous organizations in Toronto. Essentially, by the end of that year, we had the keys to Toronto. And 16 months later, we had 12,000 customers. Wow. Now, so you help many. So I stayed on. <laughs> yeah, so you, you help many. Yeah, so you don't just help, you know, you started with that one company and then from there you started working with many, many different startups. And you probably see that problem over and over again where, you know, they have troubles with sales, they have trouble with marketing, just able to survive and pay the bills. Um, is there a common denominator that you see there that you, or maybe specifically in the SaaS world of an example you can share? Yeah, without question, I'll give you an example. So typically there's not enough money set aside for marketing and sales. Mm. Um, there's no sales experience in the company. Um, they often hire friends or associates that they believe would make good salespeople. Um, they take too long to make decisions when it comes to the sales staff or the efforts they're looking at. Um, and they have no KPIs around sales efforts. Um, uh, whether it's number of contacts, outbound calls, et cetera. So, um, uh, an example of that was in 1996, I joined 
uh, a SaaS company, very, very long, one of the first, um, called uh, Amicus Attorney Software, um, which was, it became SaaS, but early on it was desktop and then, you know, group where it was just still being talked about, but essentially the same problem. The gentleman, you know, fellow that ran the company, highly intelligent lawyer, um, but he thought that lawyers would be the best people to sell to lawyers. Not so. Um, You need to be able to close, right? You need to be able to engage. You need to understand the business of of listening. And, um, you know, one of the things I often find that happens is that um, with inexperienced salespeople, they don't really know how to approach it. They don't know how to, how to you know, do a needs analysis, et cetera. So it's common. I've seen it um, in, in, in many, many companies. Yeah. So you got to find you- the right salespeople. You got to find a sales manager that understands how to scale a sales team, how to build a playbook, how to use the latest tools. I mean, LinkedIn right now is becoming one of the foremost tools for managing sales um, especially LinkedIn Navigator, um, and um, so you have to understand where um, where the future is. You have to look to what, what's what's leading edge. Like for example, there's um, new um, sales tools called um, playbook tools, where you build an actual playbook um, on how to market through um, through LinkedIn Navigator, how many touch points, etc. And they're outstanding tools. Um, or another common mistake is they don't use CRM tools, right? Customer relationship management. How do you track your KPIs or your leads or your prospects without a proper um, tool like Salesforce or Zoho, um, you know, et cetera? So, um, just if I may offer one more thing, I find it quite interesting. As you know, these days, you can fill out a form online and, you know, within moments, you're phone will ring from the salesperson in many cases, not in all cases. And what is shocking to me is how many times somebody calls me and they don't know where I am. They haven't been to my website. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, you, you, one of the things I did at Amicus Attorney is I gave every gavel and gown software, I gave every one of our inside sales team um, a pocket economist for every state um, that they um, covered in their territory because I wanted them to be familiar with the, the sociological, the geological, uh, geographical uh, nuances. Uh, and they should be aware of the news too because you want to know what is in that, what is affecting that, that company, that person, what sort of industries they are. And it made a profound difference. Mm. And when you're hiring somebody for a sales role, are you hiring a a manager first or are you looking to hire? Because that's always a challenge, right? Are you hiring, you know, somebody who's entry level and then you're, you know, training them? Or if you don't have that background and experience, like somebody like yourself, are you looking to bring on a manager to take that over for you? um, If you're struggling, especially as a software company. Well, let's say you're depending upon your budget. Good question. Uh, If you're hiring, it it depends upon budget. Uh, if you can afford to, you should have a sales leader. You know, you could. You don't have a great budget, but your first salesperson needs to be experienced. You don't want to teach anybody how to sell, yeah. and you also, unless you have that background yourself, you want that person ideally to take on the role of um, sales manager as your cash flow improves to hire other salespeople because that individual will have developed the playbook. Yeah, makes sense. And, and understanding so. 
Makes sense. And so you also worked as the uh, VP of uh, business development at Absorb Software, where you managed to grow the sales, I think, from 700K to 4.2 million. Um, Can you share what the story was around there, how you accomplished that, and what were the strategies that that worked then? Well, that's a love. It's one of my favorite stories. I, I, uh, I met the two founders of, uh, or met one of the co-founders of Absorb, walking my dog, okay. and I had just finished a management buyout um, in Toronto um, of a large company, the group, the Dan and Water Division. I was living in Calgary with young kids, and I was on an airplane. Uh, four days a week. I was super elite in three months. Um, so that was not healthy. I, I was getting divorced. wasn't good for my kids. So I walked away from that. And Mike and I were walking one day and he says, what do you, um, what do you want to do? I said, you know, I think I can sell your software. And I didn't know anything about learning management systems. I didn't know anything about adult-based training. I didn't know anything about Bloom's Taxonomy, which was a, um, a training tool. So I met him and his partner and they showed me the application. I could clearly see it was uh, superior. Interesting, learning management system space, very crowded, 400 systems. Little Calgary-based company, no money for marketing. Um, so I made a deal. I said, I cut a deal. I said, look, I'll work for you for free for a year, and you give me a certain percentage uh, at the end of the year for for if things work out. So um, their salesperson they had hired was uh, a Calgarian friend who'd worked there for six months without closing one deal. They had three uh, customers, uh, one in the states and two in Canada, not not of significance. And they were focusing on the oil and gas sector here in Calgary because they knew it. Um, No, we can't go there. We have to pivot. Um, First thing we need to do is do lead capture on our website. Um, And um, one day, and and it was was a good website these guys had had built. We got Mike sent me a lead and he said, here, Peter, this is a Gmail account. It's probably not really um, a real prospect. So I looked at the name, I researched and found uh, a gentleman, he was real. I, I can't recall his first name. His last name is Furnish, um, brother of Neil Furnish, who's married Delton John. And he was head of marketing for uh, marketing and, and development education for Virgin Mobile. So I contacted him, set up a demo, and I learned the application. I learned um, what to do, how to do proper demos. I learned that a long time ago. And we, we just heavily discounted the product, made a deal on the condition we could get testimonials from him. And that was key. Second thing we needed to do was examine the sector and see where the thought leaders were, uh, influencers, etc. So there was a company called Brandon Hall, which gave out uh, awards for learning uh, applications. So we need an award. So we, uh, I focused on awards and within you know, a year or so, we received a couple of bronzes and uh, silvers for our application. And that brought to us um, notoriety. We started getting more leads. I was the guy doing all the sales. Um, but then as things improved, and we had, we had fascinating businesses like Lufthansa, Rolls-Royce, etc. I loved engaging with those companies. Um, we were able to hire more salespeople and, and get more leads uh, and close more business. The interesting thing is, in all of that business, pre-COVID, we only met one customer once. Everything was done online through demos. And that's another absolutely important part of the SaaS world is in doing a demo. 
many people, you, you know, what should you start with? Should you start, you start, start, start in the middle, the beginning, the middle, or the end? Start at the end. Start with a wow factor. Hit the, mm-hmm. You don't have to go through the application, think piece after piece. Find out what so, solution they're trying to solve or problem they're trying to solve, and then present it to them right away, and then take it back as to how you get there. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, a lot of people focus on the top of the funnel, right? And not worrying too much on the, the demo. Yeah, make, makes perfect sense because that's when you're going to close them. Um, and then you also started your own uh, firm, a business consulting firm called Luminous Communications for you know working with SMBs across Canada. What, what else has been your expertise in helping business owners grow? Um, and how are, you help, how are you helping them grow? What, what was kind of your strategy there? Well, you know, I, I write a blog called Look Inside the Box. Okay. Well, you know, there's a common term called look outside the box for, to find opportunity. I think it's right in front of you. I think it's already there. You just mm-hmm. have to say, change your perspective, right? And, and look at it from a, from a different way. Um, you know, also be aware of, of trends of what's taking place uh, and do research, like do research. Uh, one company I worked for when they were building a SaaS product said, this is the first one in the world. And I thought, that's highly unlikely. <laughs> and sure enough, it wasn't. Um, so don't make assumptions. Um, and, um, you know, I think the, the, you know, be passionate about your business, like, you know, hang on to it and, and, and just be prepared to you know, hang on to it. That's irrelevant, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, do the things that you think can't be done and, you know, don't be afraid of breaking the rules because when you're a startup, you have to, right. You know, right. you're successful when you no longer have to break the rules. Mm. Makes sense. So you know, it's 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 part of um, it's it's part of growing the business. Like in 2013, when I was running Luminous, I um, uh, we had a flood here in Calgary, um, and it flooded the whole downtown core. Uh, many people lost their homes, jobs were shut. Uh, it was devastating. It was quite a flood, and so I was sitting at my desk that day and thought, hmm, "There's you know." There's four concerts scheduled during the Calgary Stampede. They no longer have a place to play. Maybe we should put on a benefit concert. I've never put on a concert in my life. Six weeks later, we had 40,000 people at McMahon Stadium, um, a national broadcast with a full TV crew, 14 cameras. Um, Nickelback had um, turned their plane around from Brazil and agreed to perform. We had 13 artists, uh, multiple sponsors. We raised $2.2 million. Um, and I had no music experience. Um, you know, it was just, you know, if you want to do it, you can, you just have to be committed to it. Is that <laughs> yeah, helpful? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And are you still taking on uh, consulting clients with that firm or did you stop running that business to focus on, on your new venture? No, I stopped, I stopped that about a year and a half ago. I'm managing, uh, managing director of a medical referral company called Easy Referral based out of Edmonton, Alberta. It's an application that was developed by a doctor. Uh, he had a patient that went to the emergency at the Royal Alex. She was triaged and her... Um, Referral was sent by a fax machine to a specialist who was away, uh, so it wasn't looked at. Her pain worsened, and after a few weeks, she went back to see uh, Denny or Dr. Vincent. He immediately had her an ultrasound the next day, and the cancer had spread everywhere. She oh. died a year and a half later, and after Denny um, 
flew her to Ghana to say goodbye to her extended family at his own expense, he promised to fix the referral program and build a digital application that where clinics can send referrals digitally back and forth and the patient is always in the loop. Um, so I've been running that for the last three years and uh, it's been interesting, especially since uh, COVID has hit. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. What 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 would you say are the have been the biggest challenges with scaling easy referral, both say pre-COVID and post-COVID? So for the last three years when you first started working there, and then what are you seeing now? Uh, well, the medical market's a difficult market. Um, medical offices are use a lot of legacy systems, and it's strange to think in a world uh, a vertical like this, where there's great advancements and people are talking about AI and machine learning, etc. They're still using the fax machine. Um, Many doctors don't have websites. Many doctors, uh, you know, their, their um, healthcare record system resides, resides on their own server, uh, which is kind of appalling considering that doesn't meet the healthcare uh, privacy standards in, in uh, Canada, the United States. But they're, you know, they're very busy. You know, the medical office opens at 8.30, closes at noon. They have their lunch. Um, opens at one o'clock, closes at 4.30. They're not really interested in learning a new system or my grading, etc. Um, and, and in Canada, the, the real challenge is medical care is run by government and government is slow to move, bureaucratic, etc. Um, we have, we've had traction in private um, practice, but it's a, um, it's a slow, slow sale. Mm. Um, Pre-COVID, what was interesting what's happened about COVID is the doctors um, immediately lost their source of revenue. Um, you could do a telephone consult in Alberta and get $20. Well, my doctor said a consult with a senior assistant might take an hour. Uh, one of Easy Referrals clients in Toronto, 21 ophthalmologists who see who receive uh, 2,000 referrals a week lost all the revenue. Hmm. So um, that's a lot, right? You've got staff yeah. to support etc. So we immediately pivoted, um, created, and it also meant that patients didn't have care. And when there's issues around or concerns around your vision, those can be quite concerning. So we immediately provisioned an e-assessment uh, portal, which allowed patients to upload uh, images of their eyes. We included instructions how to uh, take proper pictures of their eyes, do an eye exam, and within a month, uh, we have delivered over 1,800 uh, e-assessments. One of the other things that's helped with COVID is uh, doctors are now saying, I've got time to look at this. I've got time to examine a different method. Or I need to be prepared for the, you know, the second wave or the next time this happens because you know, this, this legacy way doesn't work anymore. Interesting. So you're saying that there was actually a drop-off. I, th I thought there'd be that opposite effect in which there'd be more... Uh, you know, revenue and more people coming in for, you know, to see doctors. Oh, no, there revenue. was more. No, no. Mm. I just meant that the medical doctors saw the drop off in revenue. We've yeah, actually yeah. added clients during COVID. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. And then you've now recently launched and co-founded your new venture, a buddy, which is a, a tech solution for workplace safety. Uh, what's the story behind launching this new business and the problem you're, you're looking to solve here? Well, who's crazy enough to start a new business during a pandemic? 
I am. Um, yeah. So about a year and a half ago, I was approached by an associate of mine who spent uh, 25 years in the safety industry, and he called me up and said, Peter, do you know anybody that can build an app? I said, there's plenty. Let's talk. So we had lunch, and he wanted to know uh, if it was possible to take a picture of a work site and then using artificial intelligence, look for flaws or danger points, etc. So if you take a picture of a excavation with... Um, uh, a ladder in it and other things around. Can you look for the hazards? And I said, yeah, a little bit, but it's not not going to be terribly sophisticated nor extremely accurate. So I had some experience with understanding the world of safety when I was at Absorb uh, because many people, many companies use online training to manage certifications. You must, many um, workers have to have certifications to enter a work site or to do a job. So I started examining the gap between technology and uh, safety, and it was large. It's profound. I saw that many um, um, many processes were oral based, paper based, um, and the other thing is everything was reactive, not proactive. And as Paul said, safety policies are written in blood. So mm. I looked, examined, I talked to more safety individuals, and I developed this idea for an application that would uh, help more people get home safely every day because 99% of all accidents are preventable. Um, um, and I looked at the statistics and I saw the numbers. 6,000 people die every day at the workplace, every day around the world. Yeah, um, It costs the United States... Um, $62 billion a year alone for workplace loss-related injuries. And there's over 638,000 accidents every day. Um, right. So I thought, and why haven't, you know, and the sad thing is those numbers that come from the International Labor Organization haven't changed since 2012. You would right. think with improved communications, uh, digital processes, etc., the number would come down, but it doesn't because the one thing that's involved in every single accident, humans, human error is at the cause of all accidents. Um, now there's some weather related issues, you know, tsunamis, et cetera, but that only accounts for less than 1%. So, um, We've, we've designed our building and are currently looking for funds for our application called Buddy. Uh, it's called Buddy because we're your work buddy. Uh, we have a marketing team that did lots of research to come up with our, uh, our brand and our name. Uh, we have an extremely profoundly strong, deep bench, both from a psychology perspective, safety perspective. Um, we have committed users. We have co companies that have committed to trial it. Um, the National Research Council has recently uh, said they would likely put forward a project uh, for us and, and they put a circle around a number for a budget uh, once they'd um, done their due diligence. And um, yeah, the other interesting thing is about COVID is COVID has changed the relationship between the worker and the employer forever. Um, yeah. It's now, and it's expanded the market because workers now include every office worker. The safety industry used to be, um, you know, those on site, those on construction sites, those in mines, those um, driving long haul trucks, but it now includes every worker in every office. And we make sure that, or we will make sure that workers every day are, and all day, are alert to risk. 
So we're helping the worker look after themselves, monitor themselves, and make sure their mind is on task, make sure they're not distracted, make sure they're not overlooking potential hazards, etc. So, um, and you know, and now, like for example, I was talking to. Um, the head of uh, safety and education at the Sheet Metal Air Rail Transport Union in the United States in Washington a few weeks ago, over 200,000 members. They're very concerned about the health of their uh, members. Very concerned. Sure. sure. Um, you know, the construction industry, uh, suicide and depression and drug abuse is a, is a, is a big, big problem. Also with the um, legalization of marijuana, uh, that's changed things too. Um, when what's interesting about you know marijuana being legalized, it's not the marijuana that's being sold isn't organic. Um, what I mean by that, it's not because it's not being grown, but it's synthetic. It's been synthesized. It's much stronger. Mm. So we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully we'll be successful. We're looks like we have good traction, and uh, I'll employ all of the things I've learned over the years, which is primarily yes. you'll get good people. Yeah, definitely. And in terms of the new construction market specifically, so that's probably an area where I think you can you know, probably be more effective. What's your take on an opinion on the growth of that landscape of that market, both say in the short term and long term? Because I imagine there's been a lot of a, a slowdown, right, in these last few months and um, in terms of new projects, and new construction going on. Well, yes and no. As an example, we've been invited. There's a new bridge that's being built from between Detroit and Windsor called the Gordy Howe Bridge. It's one of the largest mega projects in North America. Uh, there's 2,500 uh, employees there, workers. Uh, we're going, flying out on fr- tomorrow, actually, to go to a, we've been asked to uh, bring Buddy and show it to um, all the companies that are working on site there at a safety barbecue on Friday. Um, and there's other mega projects coming, but I didn't really answer your question, sorry. What I should say is, uh, we believe I mean, the housing construction, commercial construction will likely dip to a certain extent. But <laughs> excuse me, but there's going to be so much money pumped back into the economy by government for stimulus on things like dams, roads, um, you know, airport expansions, uh, etc. So I, I believe in the world of larger industrial projects, you will see those move ahead. Um, I think, you know, new house construction and uh, um, multi-unit buildings will definitely slow down. Makes make sense. So just a little shift in terms of where, where the money is being allocated. Um, kind of follow up, last kind of questions here, Peter. Uh, do you have any favorite resource or person or mentor you follow that has been instrumental to your success and maybe suggest to our audience to, of SaaS founders to check out and learn from? Yeah, you know, one man. For sure. Uh, I met him when I was 29. Uh, I'd already learned a lot on my own, but our company, Spring Valley Water, um, the president of the company found this gentleman in Florida named C. Richard Wildman, W-E-Y-L-M-A-N. Um, we, uh, we flew him up for, I can't remember, three to five day training session. He taught me everything I know about sales. Um, just truly inspirational very, you know, you know, common sense things that you just wouldn't have thought of that I always, you know, things I always employ uh, in, in my everyday life. 
Um, so you can check him out. He's easily found. He's a very interesting man, self-made millionaire. By the time he was 19, he lived in 20 different foster homes. He went on to co-found the Rob Report, um, ended up owning the third largest successful Rolls-Royce dealership in the United States, um, is a very, very well-known speaker and consultant. Um, and uh, he's, uh, his, his website materials are well worth checking out. And another gentleman I think we're all aware of is I like, you know, Simon Sinek as well. I think he's, you know, the, you know, lots of, uh, um, lots to offer. Sure. Yeah. Simon is, Simon is great. So I'll, I'll, we'll add both of those, uh, those people in our show notes, Richard Wildman and uh, Simon Sinek for people to check out if you, if you don't know already. Um, Peter, how can our audience get in touch with you and learn more about what, what you're working on? Sure. And if people want to help, we just want to ask me for advice. I'm happy to provide it. I don't charge for it. Um, it's amazing what comes from conversations. Uh, I'm really good at, you know, finding out, you know, looking for strategic relationships and opportunities that didn't, um, uh, weren't in your mind before. So you can reach me at Peter at buddy, B U D E E solutions.com, Peter at buddy solutions.com or phone me 403. 403- 617-5277-403-617-5277. I love helping uh, businesses grow and it's my the passion for the rest of my life, I'm sure. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So people, if you guys are interested, give him a cold call. He'll, he'll gladly uh, take your call. <laughs> right, It'll be you. a warm call. It'll be a warm call. Yeah, they can, they can see SAS District. Cool. Thank you so much, Peter. Yeah. Really appreciate it. And uh, Akil, my pleasure. Thank you. Be safe. And uh, thank you for asking me to um, be your guest. I very much uh, am honored. Much appreciated. Cheers. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.